Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Well, welcome to Engage 360. I'm your host, Don Payne. As is becoming our custom on this podcast, we're going to take a break from our normal interview format and offer a brief reflection related to the holiday in view this week. And I'll come to that in just a bit, but in keeping with that, Happy New Year from Denver Seminary. Uh, I believe this is episode 20 of Engage 360, and as we wrap up this first year, though it's been a partial year for us with the podcast, uh, we want to thank you for whatever time you've spent with us. We hope and, and we do pray that what you have heard has been beneficial and interesting especially as you think about what the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture mean in your own life. So please email us when you have a chance and let us know what you think. Podcast at denverseminary.edu is our email address. And though I know every podcast encourages this, it really does make a difference when you give us a rating or a written review on your favorite podcast platform. So if you like what you hear, please take a few minutes to do that. Uh, you may also like to know, if you don't, that full text manuscripts of each episode are available on our website. Simply go to uh, the website, denverseminary.edu, click on the link to the podcast, and under the picture of each episode's guest, you'll see a page icon that will lead you to the text for each episode. Hope you'll enjoy uh, those and benefit from them. These first few months of Engage 360 have been devoted to a sort of get-to-know Denver Seminary theme, and you've heard from some of our administration, our faculty, board members, students, and graduates. And I have to say that I have found each of our guests really interesting. I'm still waiting for the first dud. Um, If you check out the Engage 360 page on the seminary website, you'll see every episode there. And if you have not heard all of them, I encourage you to go back and listen to a few. I promise that it will beat listening to some of the same tunes you've heard before while you're driving. Now, as we jump into the new year, we're going to branch out a bit. Uh, You'll still hear from administration, faculty, staff, students, board members, and graduates. But we also plan to engage an even broader spectrum of people who are involved in really interesting and challenging ministries. So what we have planned for this year will give you some great ideas and a much larger vision for what the redemptive power of the gospel can look like. And I really hope you'll plan to listen as regularly as you can. So did you know that there are 31,360,000 seconds in every year? 31,360,000 seconds in a year. And perhaps the most universally recognized 10 seconds in all of that are the final 10 seconds of every calendar year. Uh, In the U.S., we can watch the ball drop in Times Square as those final 10 seconds expire. And it it seems, even on a broader level, that the, the less time that remains in any timed endeavor, the more conscious we are of the smaller increments of time. Uh, For example, once a basketball game gets to the final minute of play, the clock starts measuring in tenths of seconds. So the less time that remains, the more charged that time is in our perception, whether for good or ill. In his really insightful book, The Tyranny of Time, 
Robert Banks observes that the mechanical timekeeping device we call a clock was invented in the late 13th century, but from then until the Industrial Revolution, it occupied a primarily ornamental role in society. It was a curiosity, a showpiece. It was not until the labor of large numbers of workers needed to be synchronized for the sake of mass production that clocks assumed a regulative role in society. They began to tell us what time it was rather than simply report or reflect the time. So when the bell rang or the whistle blew, it told people it was time to begin work, time to break for lunch, time to resume work, and time to stop. Uh, I think it's amazing, sometimes comical, how much power we invest in timekeeping devices. So my late father-in-law used to be working in his backyard, and my mother-in-law would call out to him through their kitchen window and ask, Jim, are you hungry? To which he would respond, what time is it? Uh, He couldn't answer whether he was hungry without knowing the time. So at this time of the year, it's a good time to think about time in relation to God, in relation to who we are, and uh, what we're doing in God's world. For people around the world, the start of a new year tends to be some type of celebration. Uh, A new year and the celebration surrounding it has different meanings in different cultures, but in the more secularized cultures like ours, it seems to be celebration sort of for its own sake. Uh, Our culture loves to celebrate celebrating. Among Christians and perhaps other people of faith, it also tends to be a time of reflection on the events of the prior year and their significance in light of God. And that's a good thing, in part because it brings into focus God's relationship to time. Sometimes Christians talk about time as if to minimize it in light of God's timelessness. Uh, Doing that seems to be a way of connecting with God's transcendence when life for us inside of time can be rugged. And certainly from a theological vantage point, we have to admit, at least in my understanding of things, that God is not bound to time or limited by time as we are. After all, God is creator of all, But we ought to ask ourselves whether perhaps God takes time more seriously than we do. We're just coming off a season when, as Christians, we celebrated the entrance of God into time through the Incarnation. And God may not be innately bound to time, but God certainly has willed to bind himself to time for our sake. The 20th century Scottish theologian T.F. Torrance challenged what he called the container view of space and time that he thought had plagued the church's thinking for centuries. Uh, This container view, which Torrance attributes to Aristotle, found its way into much Western theological thinking and is responsible, so argues Torrance, for much of our discomfort with the Incarnation, with God being really, truly, fully present among us and active, acting decisively in our lives as one of us in time uh, through the Incarnation. Now, if you want to follow up on how Torrance treats those notions, I'd refer you to his book, Space, Time, and Incarnation. Uh, it's a challenging read, so eat a hearty breakfast before you jump in. Uh, ever since Albert Einstein argued that space and time are not absolute but are relative to each other, 
lots of Christians have had a curious relationship to time, particularly to how God relates to us in and through time. And we can conveniently play the timelessness card when life inside time gets too difficult or too puzzling for us. And yet we just rehearsed during Advent our life between the times of Christ's coming. The very hope and the very promise of the gospel is hope and a promise that situates us in time and anchors God's promises in time. So these annual holiday punctuation points serve not merely as occasions to celebrate celebration, but as occasions to recognize God's presence and to recalibrate our lives around God's presence to us and around God's work through us in time, even with all the ambiguities that time involves. Koheleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, was poignantly conscious of those ambiguities in reflecting on how God has kind of frustrated us by placing us in time while allowing us to have a sense of the past and the future and not allowing us to see what our work adds up to in all of that, all of which steers our attention back to the simplicity of trusting God for those matters in time. The Apostle Paul reflected his keen sense of the significance of time in Romans uh, chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, and I'll quote Paul here. He says, And do this, that is, fulfill the law through love, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, end quote. In this challenge, Paul gives us more than might be evident at first glance. He helps us think about and helps us relate rightly to time by referring to time in two ways. He uses words like now and day, words that connote chronological time, which is linear time that accumulates and can be measured. And yet the word he uses for time in verse 11 is not chronos, where we get our word chronological. That's the word for linear, accumulating, measurable time. But he uses the word kairos, which refers to time in a more qualitative sense. Kairos speaks of time as an occasion or a unique type of moment when something important is to occur. Now, we generally answer the question, what time is it, by looking at a clock. But Paul would have been just as inclined to answer that question by saying, it's time to trust God. It's time to love our neighbor. You see the difference? We shouldn't always think about time merely in clock or calendar terms. Now, here we are, all the same, using a calendar to prompt these reflections. But that's only a prompt for the far bigger questions of how we relate to God within time when we can't quantify the worth of a life, when we can't quantify how much impact our loving and our serving has had, 
when we can't quantify the value of a cup of cold water offered in Jesus' name when the person's simply going to need another cup shortly after that. Or, or when we can't explain why God seems to take so long to work or so long to answer our prayers or to do the very things he says he wants to do. The most important things in life take place within time, but they can never be measured in units like those we use to measure chronological time. We can't think of God's activity in time the way we like to measure so much else in life. So let me offer a suggestion for how we, as, as those who've banked our lives on the claim that Jesus is indeed the way, the truth, and the life, how we are to celebrate and to reflect at this time of year. As we enjoy some of God's good gifts and celebrate, uh, sometimes along neighbors whose lives reflect maybe other allegiances, we can breathe a bit easier because not everything that matters can be assessed by the limited metrics that the world uses to determine value, including how much got done in measurable time. We can afford to stop or to step back from what typically preoccupies us and pressures us, and we can reflect on God's presence and God's activity between the lines in the subtle ways that we tend to miss or not see. Like about uh, 8% of the male population and 0.4% of the female population, uh, I'm colorblind. Uh, some people who are not colorblind have thought that meant that I see in black and white like an old-fashioned TV set. No, it, it simply means that I have trouble distinguishing certain colors, normally red, green, and brown, unless they are really bold. Uh, and it means that some shades of colors I simply don't see at all. So a few years ago, some of my students found out about this, and they went together quite generously and surprised me with a, a rather expensive pair of sunglasses that actually compensate for colorblindness. It's, it's a very real and a very cool technology. Now, the first time I put them on, I went for a drive, and for the first time in my life, I was shocked to realize that the street signs on corners, at least where I live, are green. I had never seen that. I was also stunned the first time I saw a green traffic light. I always knew that it was called a green light, but I had never seen it as anything but a white light. And it was staggering to me to realize that a green light is actually green. Um, and maybe in some roughly analogous fashion, God's presence and activity in our lives, we often miss. They don't scream at us. They can actually be staring us in the face, but we don't recognize them. We don't see them for what they are, and we don't benefit from them at all. And so the dominantly chronological or linear ways we think about time carry over to some other domains of our lives, and they cripple our vision. So to the extent that our vision is impaired in this way, so is our capacity for joy and celebration and gratitude. And, and so is our capacity or our, our motivation to risk and to sacrifice in service. So try to see life through God's eyes, within time, but not bound to a one-dimensional view of time. I have to confess that the older I get, the more I think about chronological time, because, as I mentioned at the outset, the less time that remains, the more finely calibrated our attention to it becomes. So hardly a day passes when I don't somehow think about the fact that far more of my life is behind me than ahead of me. 
Now, that's not macabre or, or depressing to me. Sometimes it's sobering as I think about various regrets, and I know there is no do-over. But quite often, it, it just motivates me to make the most of whatever time does remain. In one sense, a chronological or quantitative sense, I do want to get as much done as possible within that time. But in the more qualitative or kairos sense, it motivates me and inspires me to invest my life in the right kinds of ways, with good proportion, um, quality relationships and conversation, deep attention to people, attentive to opportunities, courage to speak up for things that really matter, courage to give a plausible witness for the gospel within my circle of acquaintances, Um, the, the attentiveness not to let the experiences and the resources and the lessons of my life be wasted on me. And the list could go on and on. But it really brings me back to some of Paul's key words in Romans 13, to fulfill the law of love, and again, his words, understanding the present time, to wake up from slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Or in other words, to to deeply enter into the life and the truth and the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that strikes me as a fairly healthy and worthwhile balance of celebration and commitment to mark the end of the year and the beginning of another year. Uh, The resolutions we make during this kind of time will only be life-giving, they'll only be durable if they're upheld by attention to God's presence and attention to God's activity beyond what we can measure. So thanks be to God for the gift of time, however long or brief it is for any of us chronologically. Thanks be to God for entering our time and sanctifying it, making it holy by his very presence, for being Lord over time and Lord within time. Thanks be to God that the worth and the value and the influence of our lives can't be measured by how much time we have. Thanks be to God for the grace-filled promise that he is the one who does the work and guarantees the final outcome. On behalf of all of us here at Denver Seminary, Happy New Year. May you know the Lord's presence and the Lord's redemption in everything you do this coming year, uh, in the gains and the losses, in your work and in your rest. I'm Don Payne. I hope you'll check in with us again next week. Take care.